I just want to thank you for letting me come here and do this. This is my first time to actually have a morning service. I mean, you know, the whole thing. And I'm going, okay, Lord, okay, okay. We will do it. Um, I want to start out with reading my very favorite, well, one of my very favorite scriptures. This is one that the Lord gave me years ago. It's just been a part of who I am, not only from what he does through it, but what, you know, he has us do with this scripture. It's Isaiah 61. And I know a lot of times they just read the first few verses, but I'm going to read the whole thing because it, it talks about the progression of all the way through what he will do for us when he brings healing into our lives. Uh, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce liberty to captives, and to, op and to open the eyes of the blind. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of God's favor to them has come and the day of his wrath to their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. For God has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his own glory. And they shall rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing cities long ago destroyed, reviving them, though they have lain there many generations. And foreigners shall be your servants, and they shall feed your flocks and plow your fields and tend your vineyards. And you shall be called priests of the Lord, ministers of our God. You shall be fed with the treasures of the nations and shall glory in their riches. And instead of shame and dishonor, you shall have a double portion of prosperity and everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery and wrong. And I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known and honored among the nations, and all shall realize that they are a people that God has blessed. Let me tell you how happy God has made me, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and draped about me the robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom in, this, in his wedding suit or a bride with her jewels, and the Lord will show the nations of the world his justice and, and, will, and all will praise him. His righteousness shall be like a budding tree or like a garden in early spring, full of young plants springing up everywhere. I mean, he describes what he will do for us when we let him heal our hearts. You know, when we turn our lives totally over to him, you know, the blessings start flowing in our lives, and, and that's just meant so much to me. Uh, I'm going to talk about loss today, and everyone has experienced some kind of loss. Uh, I do want to tell you a little bit about myself, because sometimes, you know, I've done this myself. It's not very nice, but you hear somebody speak, and you go, well, what qualifies you to talk about that? <laughs> Sorry. You know, I don't do that anymore. But anyway, um, for me, and I didn't understand this for a long time, but I was supposed to be a boy. My, we, my dad, they, mom, they had one girl, and I was the second child, and I was supposed to be a boy, and I wasn't. And I couldn't ever figure out what was wrong with me, you know, but I felt it. My whole life, I felt it. There was something wrong with me. I wasn't what I was supposed to be. And I just assumed there was something, you know, wrong with me. And, and I knew that as a small child, I had wanted to be a boy, and I guess maybe subconsciously, you know, I understood that. But being rejected just for something you can't control, it, it really messes you up, you know, because I felt like my dad didn't love me. Uh, when I was about three or four years old, I was molested. And, you know, that's really 
hard on people. And especially hard on girls. Well, it's hard on everybody. But, you know, from a girl's point of view, yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to have to deal with. And then when I was five, I spent six weeks in the hospital. And I figured it up one time, and I spent probably about 22 hours a day by myself. Out of the six weeks, I had one week that I had somebody in my room. The rest of the time, I was alone. Now, I had visitors, but, you know, they'd stay maybe 15, 30 minutes a day. And on a good day, I might have more than one. But generally speaking, after the first week, you know, I didn't have very many people come in. Now, my dad would, my mom said my dad came in every day and sat with me. I don't remember that. I, what I do remember is the one time he was there, he sat and he read the paper and he watched the news. And so here I needed interaction, and he sat there and did his own thing. Now, he was there, but he wasn't there. And back then, they did not treat my condition. It was a kidney infection. They didn't treat it with antibiotics. So I was not allowed out of the bed at all. So he wouldn't even let me sit on his lap. So I was stuck in this bed by myself, five years old, pretty much by myself for six weeks. Uh, and that, <laughs> that messed me up. When I was 12, my parents got divorced, and back then that was a big thing. You know, divorce was still a horrible sin, you know. And then we had to go on welfare because my mother had to go back to school. So that was a big shame thing. And so, and then they both remarried when I was a teenager, and, you know, teenagers don't deal with stuff. So I didn't deal with things very well. But God. When I was 16, I met my husband, and the first time I saw him, something just, I just knew he was the one I was going to marry. I don't know how, I just knew. And, and David was my saving grace. God sent him to me because he taught me the unending love of God, because he was the only person in my life to that point that I knew loved me no matter what that I knew would love me no matter what, because I was a mess. And um, we'd fight, I'd throw him out, he'd come back. I'd throw him out, he'd come back. I mean, he wasn't gone long. But, you know, I wasn't easy to live with. I mean, he wasn't an angel, he had his issues too. But, you know, God taught me through him that he just was always going to love me. And then he died eight years ago. So I understand loss. I'm sorry. I was hoping I wouldn't do this. So we're going to discuss some different kinds of loss. Because sometimes people get in their mindset it's only like one thing or another. You can lose a spouse, a child, a friend. Just losing a friend is a loss. You know, they may still be alive, but, you know, if the friendship breaks, you've had a loss. Um, you can have you can lose your innocence through rape or just watching TV. Kids, some of the stuff they watch on TV, I mean, they they can lose their innocence because their minds are just polluted with this stuff. Um, you can lose your independ independence due to old age or an accident, being in jail. Uh, you can lose your financial security by losing a job, uh, the stock market crashing, or um, you know, getting divorced. And, and then suddenly, you know, you don't have the money you used to have. You can um, 
have a loss through divorce, you know, either you or your parents. My parents getting divorced caused a lot of loss in my life. And if you get divorced yourself, it also causes a lot of loss. You can lose your identity. Um, after my husband died, I had to figure out who I was. I, you know, we'd been married almost 34 years, and I didn't know who I was. Uh, you can lose your, your personal security, you know, by being robbed or bullied or, you know, something like that. You can lose your confidence. I grew up in an in a attitude, my, the people, the household that I lived in was very critical, very negative. And, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of confidence, you know, because it seemed like I couldn't do anything right. Um, you can lose your confidence by being fired or jilted or cheated on. Uh, you can lose a precious possession through fire or floods. Uh, losing an arm or a leg, your, your sight or your ears, that's a big thing. To be able to hear and see, that's a big loss. So there are all kinds of losses out there. Now, I like to define things. That's the teacher in me. And um, so I looked up what it means, what loss means. And it means to be deprived of something. So when you lose a loved one, you're deprived of their presence. You're, you're deprived of their, you know, their personality, you know, their comfort, whatever they brought in your life. Uh, another, another definition is that which causes damage. So like a fire is a loss. A flood is a loss. Uh, failure to keep. Divorce is a failure to keep your marriage intact. Uh, when you're robbed, it's a failure to keep whatever they took from you. Another definition is defeat. You know, if, if you're in the job market and say you're working really hard to win a certain contract and you don't, then you've suffered a defeat. You've suffered a loss. Kids, when they play sports in school, you know, they lose and they take it hard because sports is a big thing, and especially in the high schools. You know, so if you lose, that's a, you know, that's a defeat. Uh, a loss is also something that is no longer in your possession. You know, so whatever it is, if you've lost it, it's something no longer in your possession. Uh, destruction. Like I said, criticism is very destructive. So when somebody criticizes you, you suffer a loss. You suffer, you, you suffer destruction. Waste, not living up to your potential. How many times have you known somebody that is just very intelligent, very smart, very capable, but yet they don't live up to their potential? Something is not wired right inside them, and they just can't seem to step out and succeed. It means to forfeit. You can forfeit your birthright, your identity, your peace. I mean, how many times do, do we get upset and get mad over the dumbest stuff, you know, and lose our peace, and then we're just all, you know, well, we... We have uh, forfeited our peace. Uh, it means to miscarry. You know, relationships that don't succeed, you know, can say, you can say they miscarried. You know, something happened and, and it got broken along the way. And then rejection. Um, if somebody rejects you, you can lose your feelings of self-worth, of confidence. You know, you just think you're, you're no good. So these are all different kinds of loss. So what happens to our souls, our emotions, our hearts, whatever you want to call it, you know, when we suffer loss? Well, there's a wound, and there's pain, and there's a hole inside of you. Because whenever you lose something, 
it's no longer there. There's an empty place. And, you know, sometimes we cope to protect that, that wound by putting walls up. Sometimes we try to control our environment, control people. That's what I did. I, went, I was trying to control everything. My, my poor children, I love them, but they probably thought I was <laughs> not a very nice mama. But I was trying to protect them. And so I was fearful, and I was controlling, and, you know, and I, in my eyes, I was trying to protect them. But in theirs, I don't know what they thought. But, yeah, I was a mess. Uh, sometimes we cope by avoiding what has hurt us. Like, if we got divorced, then we don't want to make another commitment. You know? So we just avoid it. We just don't go there. Um, I lost my spot. Where am I at? Uh, sometimes we can get aggressive or violent. You know, we act out our pain. You know, I, I think everybody knows somebody that, you know, especially back in high school days, that they were just angry. And, and they, you know, took it out on the people around them. Uh, some people cope by installing security systems and getting big dogs and guns and all that stuff in order to make themselves feel safe. You know, they're trying to protect themselves. Sometimes they act pushy. You know, they're bullied, so they bully someone else. Uh, sometimes, and this is what a lot of people do, they drink, they do drugs, they, they may be promiscuous, promiscuous, sorry, I can't talk, or they may be a workaholic. You know, anything to, to keep them from thinking about what's going on in their hearts and in their minds. So we all respond differently to loss. Um, and here's an example. You know, some girls, if they are molested or raped, they may uh, become promiscuous, and others may go the other way. They may avoid, you know, intimacy. And then some may choose an alternate lifestyle simply because it seems safer. You know, they, they, they choose a safer route. But, you know, that's one incident, but every woman is going to respond to it differently. So, we have this hole in our heart, but if we don't let God heal it, then it's going to get filled with other stuff. And it's not going to usually get filled with good stuff. Uh, and unfortunately, most of us get damaged as children, and children don't know how to process things. We don't, we don't understand how to deal with this stuff. So it gets stuck there, and we get stuck responding to things in the same way that we did as a child. So um, if when you got rejected, you responded with anger and fear as a child, you're probably going to respond to rejection with anger and fear in as adult. You know, it's, it's because that's how your, your emotions, your brain was programmed as a child to respond to whatever happened. And until it gets healed and changed, you're just going to keep doing that. And you don't even know why. Now, the enemy, you know, he comes in there and he just starts putting in all the garbage. So here's an example. I was supposed to be a boy, and I wasn't. And there wasn't anything I could do about that, at least not back then. But, um, you know, so I had fear. I had insecurity, um, sadness, sorrow, grief. I felt unwanted, unloved. Um, you know, I felt betrayed by my own father, rejected. You know, I didn't understand it all. I, didn't, I couldn't process it all. But those are the emotions that were in me. Uh, you know, then you get this pride and fear thing going, and you get an independent spirit. You think, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of me because, you know, he doesn't care 
and I, and I have to take care of me. So then you try to do everything on your own. Uh, there was jealousy and envy over, you know, we followed him around to all his sports. You know, he played ball, he bowled, he golfed, he played cards, all that stuff. So, you know, there was jealousy and envy that, you know, he did all this stuff with everybody else, but he didn't do anything with us. We could go, but there was no interaction. It was us watching him do whatever he wanted to do. So, you know, there's just a lot of stuff that gets dumped in us when we haven't dealt with that, you know, because we've got this gaping hole. It's got to be filled. So in a way, this is like an identity crisis. Um, we were created in the image of God. We were created to respond like, like he does. But unless, as a small child, you get saved and know who Jesus is and have parents that will lead you through this, you know, we don't respond that way because we don't even know how. You know, we respond to the hurt, you know, by withdrawing in usually a negative way. Um, but God responds with love, with mercy, with grace, with compassion. He responds by helping us even when we, you know, we know we don't deserve it. You know, he responds in a way that, that we don't usually do that, especially as, as children, especially when we don't understand. So anyway, um, as Christians, we should be learning to respond with faith in his goodness uh, knows, and knowing that he knows what he's doing. And, and I have got signs taped on my wall that says, God does know what he's doing. <laughs> because, you know, I didn't like what was happening, you know, and so I was trying to make sense of it. And finally he says, well, I do know what I'm doing. And I'm going like, okay. Okay. You know, we have to, to respond by understanding that he's in control of the situation. He's not surprised. He knows what's going on, and he's got a plan. And we, we need to respond knowing that he's not going to leave us, he's not going to forsake us, and he's not going to fail us. Uh, we have to trust. And when you've been hurt, trust is a very hard thing. It's a very hard thing. And I've often asked him, you know, why is it taking me, you know, at least 25 years to get to this point? Well, I had some big trust issues, <laughs> and it's taken a long time. And I still struggle with that, but yet he's faithful. So anyway, because, you know, we're human, most of us don't respond the right way even as adults, even as Christians. I mean, I know I have to stop and think, okay, what are you doing here? Uh, because, you know, we're frail. We fail. We mess up. We get scared because we don't understand what's happening and we can't see what's coming. You know, that was the thing for me. He showed me I couldn't see what was coming, so I was scared and I didn't trust him to know what he was doing, you know. So, you know, we just kind of get all bent out of shape. But he knows what's what's coming and... and um, this is where faith comes in. You know, this is where we just have to trust him that his word works. He knows what he's doing. He's going to work it all out for my good and that he will bring beauty out of all these ashes, you know, all the bad things that have happened, that he's going to take them and turn them for good. When my husband died, it was one thing I said, Lord, I don't want his life to be in a waste or, you know, by, by dying too young. I want it to mean something. I want it to be important. 
But God is, a, is the master recycler. That's what I call him because he takes everything, no matter how ugly, no matter how dirty, no matter how hurtful, no matter how bad, and he turns it around into something beautiful. And I have ministries. You know, we do all these things and they're good. But a lot of times we do not understand how God works to bring that healing in our lives. Uh, I, I grew up in church, and they talked about how God did all these wonderful things and the blessings and all this stuff. And I'm going, okay, how do you get from here to here? I don't see anybody living that. I don't see anybody walking in that. How, how do you do this? And so, you know, I tend to, uh, well, I do. I take it from beginning to end. I want everybody to know. And if you got questions when we're done, then you can grab me and I'll fill in the blanks. But, I, you know, if you don't understand, you're not going to get the healing you need. It's that simple. So, and part of our problem, too, in this day and age is we do have a microwave mentality. We want everything fast. We want it quick. And we don't really want to put a whole lot of time and effort into it. <laughs> Just punch them buttons. Let's get it done. But there are, in any incident, there are multiple layers that have to be healed. Uh, you know, he's, he's not a one-size-fits-all magic machine. You just say, oh, I need healing. Boom, there it is. You know, he wants a relationship. He wants uh, us to get to know him. He wants us to understand what he thinks, how he feels, you know, how he works. And he wants to be our father. You know, he wants to have a loving daddy relationship with us. And so he, he leads us through to build the trust and the relationship. So um, here's another example. When my husband died, and these are all things that I have dealt with more than once, uh, I had the fear of being alone. I'd never lived alone before. I had never lived alone, and I was, like, terrified. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know how to do it. And um, there was the fear of no money because he was the main breadwinner. I mean, I worked whenever, you know, we needed it or I found a job I really liked, you know, whatever. You know, he was he was um, happy to have me home being a housewife and a mother, you know, kind of thing. So I never had a career. I never had a you know, any particular path that I took in, in business or anything like that. So here was, there was no money. Now, he had insurance money, but the fear was still there. It didn't matter what I had in the bank. The fear was still there because the breadwinner was gone. I had fear of being a single parent. Now, my kids were all grown and gone, but yet they didn't have their dad anymore. And I knew our relationship wasn't the best because, like I said, I was a mess, especially when the kids were little. And I thought, how am I going to be to my children what their dad was? That was a concern for me because I know they needed him. Uh, there's the thought, how am I going to do all the work around here that he used to do? You know, he did the mowing, the weed eating, and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not that I never did, but he did it most of the time, and now I had to do it all. There's the fear of growing old and alone. You know, I had hoped to get remarried, and here eight years down the road, I'm still alone. Well, and then there's the fear of, um, how do you date? I haven't dated since I was 17. And I'm going, I don't know what to do. I wouldn't know how. And, and so there's that fear. And if somebody had asked me, I'm going like, I would have probably had a panic attack. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, I don't know. I just trust the Lord. Okay, figure it out. Um, I had to find out who I was. 
I was, I was no longer a wife. I was no longer part of a team. I was, I was no longer that half. I was suddenly now just me. And that was tough because I identified with him. You know, we were, we did everything together. We worked on cars together. We worked on the house together. We did all kinds of stuff together. And suddenly my muscles were gone. You know, <laughs> I had to figure out who I was. And so those are just examples of a lot of stuff that came out of that one incident, yet so much of that stuff was tied to wounds that I had as a child. Because you go through stages when you lose you know, someone you really love and a spouse, it's a little different because you know, you're, you've, have become one in Christ. That's what the word says, when two become one. And um, so I felt, parts of me felt, Abandoned and rejected. I mean, I know he didn't intend on just going out and dying, but that I had to work through those emotions. And I found that those emotions were still anchored back to when I was a child and I felt that way by my father. You know? So I had to not only dig through what I was going through now, but I had to go back and find out okay, uh, where's this coming from? Why is this still an issue? So knowing yourself is essential to the full restoration. You know, you got to pay attention to what's going on inside of you. And I've had people, you know, because I've gone to a number of different kind of healing deliverance type ministries, and they go, boy, you really know what's going on. I go, yeah, I pay attention. You have to. Why do I feel this way? Why did that upset me? You know, what's, what's, what are the emotions going on here? You know, I had to really dig in and go, I don't know what's going on here, but you do, Lord. And so I would just ask him, you know, why do I feel this way? You know, and so he would show me, and sometimes I would have to um, talk to a friend. You know, I mean, I go to the Lord sometimes; He don't say nothing, and I'm going like, okay. And and then a friend would come to mind, so I call him, and as we talk through stuff, then he'd start revealing things through this friend, and um, and, and he likes to make you wait sometimes. So he'd give me a piece here, and then a week later he'd give me another piece, and then a few days later he'd give me another piece, and maybe that same night he'd give me another piece, you know. And and I struggle with that microwave mentality too, because you know, like we want to just get it over with. But I've learned to trust him, and I and I've learned to realize it is a process. It is a process. Now I'm going to give you an example, and you're going to have to kind of track with me because this is kind of goes down through the whole process of something that happened recently. Uh, I had a dream, and in the dream, a lady was asking me to come to England to minister, and I said, when Papa sends someone to go with me, and she implied that I should push through my fears and go anyway. And I told her, this is something he'd said to me recently, and I told her, I said, that he had anointed my hands for the nation, and he's given me and sent me to the nations, and I'll have to take planes, but I will always have someone to go with me because I don't like flying. And I've always pushed and made myself go in the past. But he said he was going to make sure I had somebody to go with me. I said, okay. But I knew there was more to this than that, so I asked him what he was trying to show me. And immediately I remembered when I was five years old and I was in the hospital. I'd been in there a few days. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but this was back before they were using antibiotics for what I had. And so they were coming in and drawing blood out of my arm every few hours. And they'd been doing this for several days. And I, I mean, I still have scars. I can, I can actually see the scars. They poked me so many times in that six weeks. 
And, and so here I was, it was night, I was tired, I was alone, I was scared, and they'd been hurting me for days. I wanted to go home, and I didn't want to get hurt again. And I started crying. And I told her, I said, I don't want you to. I, I don't want you to, you know, like a five-year-old would do. And instead of this nurse showing me the least bit of compassion or mercy or grace, she called the orderlies, they came in, slammed me down on the bed, held me down, she took my blood by force. And then they just kind of like shoved me away. I mean, you could feel their disgust of me. And I know things were different back then, but still, even as an adult now, I think, oh, how could they have no compassion for a small, sick child? I, I still cannot fathom that, but I can remember it so clearly because it just broke something in me. And so that's what he, you know, he was showing me, and I go, okay, so what, what are you trying to tell me here? And he said that I judged myself as unworthy, as a contemptible coward, because that's where they treated me, and as a failure, because I couldn't do what they wanted to, me to do without crying. And I was filled with fear, with shame, with insecurity, self-hatred, and I had a victim mentality because I felt violated. You know, they held me down by force. So anyway, then God showed me that in my heart, I decided that I wasn't allowed to fail. I wasn't allowed to be weak. I wasn't allowed to need help. I had to be strong. I had to push through everything. No matter what it was, I had to push through. You know, this is, this is the things that I determined in my, in my own heart. And, and what I found, though, is even if I did push through stuff, I was, I ne was never good enough. I never felt like it was good enough. And, and I've had people tell me my whole life, he says, you're too hard on yourself. And I go, I know. But I didn't know why. And I didn't know how to stop. And because I was too hard on me, I was too hard on everyone else. You know, the Bible says, love thy neighbor as thyself. And I didn't love myself very well, so I couldn't love other people very well. I was very judgmental. And I could be harsh. So anyway, Father showed me that I didn't believe I deserved mercy, compassion, help, or grace, so I pushed myself to prove that I wasn't a coward and I wasn't worthy of contempt, and I judged myself in fear even when I was succeeded. So in the dream, what he was showing me, even though I wasn't fond of flying, um, that he was showing me mercy. And he was making a way for me to go without me having to push through, without me having to fight through the fear every time. He was, he was saying, I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to make sure you have somebody, because that's all I needed was somebody to go with me. You know, that's what I needed was just somebody to go with me. And he promised me that he was going to do that. And so he was telling me he made a way for me to go in peace, and I could just rest. I could rest in him, I could rest in that, and I didn't have to fight with, with all that stuff. And it just like, wow, you know? And you know, I, you know, I give this a lot of thought, and I have struggled to receive mercy and compassion and grace and help from our Heavenly Father. I have. I mean, I told a friend a while back, I, said, I don't even understand what grace means. I mean, I know the definition of it, but I didn't know what it meant. And um, somebody sent me a little book, 
And I read it, and it was very simple, and I thought, okay, I'm starting to get this. So it was something I just I didn't even understand, and, and he's teaching me. He's, he's showing me how I got to where I'm at and how to get out. So he is giving me beauty for all those ashes and joy for all those tears and rest for all that work. And I tell you what, when you're striving in your own flesh, when you're striving with yourself, it is a lot of work. It's hard. It's not easy. So anyway, if he did it for me, he will do it for you. But there's one requirement. You have to want his help and you have to ask. You know, pretty simple. Because he's not going to force anybody to receive anything they do not want. So if you want healing, you just have to ask him for it. It's, it's really simple. So here are the basics. Just ask God, you know, something happens, something triggers you, and you're going like, ah, you know, what is this from? <laughs> you know, ask God to reveal the truth to you. Ask him to help you. Show, show you what it is. Show you what you need to do. Acknowledge what happened. Now, see, I didn't remember being molested, but somebody in, in my church who I trusted said, you know, you've got all the signs and symptoms. You know, you're, you're, you're manifesting the usual behaviors of somebody that's had this happen to him. And I go, yeah, whatever. But I respected this person, so I went to the Lord, and I said, okay, you're going to have to prove this to me. And I prayed about it. I don't, you know, I don't know if it was days, weeks. I don't remember. But one day, he just, you know, he proved it to me. He confirmed it, and I'm thinking, okay. And it was quite a shock to me because I thought, okay, now what do I do with this? And so um, the first thing I had to do was I had to accept it as truth. I had to decide whether I was going to believe what he showed me or not. And I thought, okay, Lord, I'm going to believe you. And so I started dealing with it from the point of view that he said it was, he said it happened, so I'm going to trust him and I'm going to believe him. And that's when my life started to really change for the better. That's when I really started seeing improvements in me and the way I felt, the way I reacted. You know, that's when I really started to shift, when I started dealing with that one issue. Now, when you're going through this, you have to forgive. You know, it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and this wasn't a one-time thing. You know, he would bring it back up over time, and I'm going like, are we ever going to be done with this? Yes, there is an ending. <laughs> there was an ending. But every time, he takes you at a different angle. He takes you from a different perspective. So I had to forgive um, the person that did it. I had to forgive beauty for those ashes. My heart doesn't know it. And I can't walk in the fullness of who I was created to be. You know, he's, he's brought so much healing into my life. I mean, so much. I, I sometimes I, I think about what I was like when, when my kids were little, when I was a teenager, and I think, oh, my gosh. I mean, I was a wallflower. I didn't talk to nobody. So this is a big thing to, you know, to get out here and talk in front of people. I just didn't. I wasn't a social butterfly. I was scared of everybody. So even though, you know, he's, he's bought, brought such great healing for me, there's still places in me that need to be restored. And that emptiness is still there. And it's waiting to not only be filled, to be, to, but to be fulfilled, 
and made whole because loss doesn't go away. It creates a vacuum and it has to be filled with something. And he wants to be our everything. He wants to be our everything. You know, people tell me after my husband died, oh, God is, is, can be everything. And I'm thinking, oh, what do you mean? You know, that was one of those, what do you mean things? How, how, how can God be my everything? But yet I have found that he really can be. You know, I had never been a whole person before. I, I didn't even know what it was like. And, you know, I may not be all the way there, but I'm way closer than I've ever been. So when we cooperate with him, he will clean out those wounds and he will fill it with his goodness. And and that's why we're here today. He told me he wanted to jumpstart every one of us. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but he has healing for everybody here if you want it. And for everybody, it's going to be different. So all you have to do is say, okay. And, and you know, you don't have to be afraid because he's not going to do anything to you that you don't want. And that doesn't mean you can tell him what you want him to do because you really don't probably even know what you need. But he does. So if you let him, he wants to heal you. And I know there's some of you that have been on this path for a long time, just like me. You know, you've pressed in and you've been receiving healing from the Lord. And there's some of you that were like I was and you go, okay, I want it, but I don't know how to get there. And there's some of you here that, that don't even know the Lord at all. But you know what? That's okay because he takes us where we're at. When Jesus died on the cross for your healing, he didn't do that just for those that were saved. He did it for everyone. But as you let him live in your heart, then he can do more. He can work in the fullness. You know, as long as you still hold him away, he can only do. And he has something good for you. And, and it doesn't matter where your relationship is with him. It's all about what you let him do. What you're willing to let him do. As Christians, um, you know, we're told we have to give things to the Lord. So he's asking you, and maybe in those even that don't know him, I mean, he's asking you if you're willing to surrender yourselves absolutely into his hands. Now, absolutely means unquestionably, totally, and unconditionally. And I thought, man, those are some pretty strong words. So unquestionably, if I'm still asking questions, then I'm not fully trusting. You know, and I, that was me. I was always asking questions. And, and I realized, okay, I'm not really trusting him because I'm still trying to figure it out. Unconditionally. If I do this, then you got to do that because the word says, you know, that we're supposed to be blessed and we have all these promises. So if I do this, if I go through this and deal with this stuff, then you got to do that. And, and I realized, okay, if I'm still making bargains with God, then I'm not trusting him. I'm not doing it for the right reasons either. You know? So that's a question you have to ask yourself. But the big question is, is if we can't 
get ourselves there if if only part of us you know we're willing to surrender you know can he do anything yes he will perfect the parts and pieces you give him he will heal bring healing into whatever you're willing to give him and really i don't i don't know if we can ever get to that point of absolute surrender i mean that would be nice i guess but it's it sounds bigger than what we can do but what i do know is that if that's what you want if that's what you're willing you know that you say i want to trust you that much then that's what he works with he works with your heart's desire he he takes what you're willing to give him and i said god i really want to trust you like that i want to trust you like that and he takes that and that's what he works with you know i don't have to be there i just have to want to be there and i do i want to fully trust him okay now here's something i learned recently when i read about grace um how do i do that how do i get to that place of absolute surrender well the good news is is god does it <laughs> he's the one that does the work we don't have to do it on our own zechariah 4 6b and i i turn this around so it's personal for me it's not by my might it's not by my power, but it's by His Spirit, says the Lord. It's Holy Spirit working within us. Philippians 2.13, the Living Translation said, For God is at work within you, helping you want to obey Him, and then helping you do what He wants. And then Galatians 2.20, this was a big one for me. I am crucified with Christ, yet I live. Yet not I, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And there's been so many times I said, Jesus, I need your faith. I need your faith. I don't have any for this. I need your faith. And he just does it. And the Passion Translation puts it this way. My new life is empowered by the faith of the Son of God who loves me so much that he gave himself for me. And he dispenses his life into mine. He gives us everything we have need of. And he does what we cannot do. He does it all, and we just have to say, okay, and then we have to obey whatever he tells us to do and just do it. And there's so many times, you know, I said, I need your strength. I, I, need, I need your faith. And sometimes I just said, I need, I don't even know what I need, God, but I need you to do something. And he would. Every time. Every time. <laughs> oh, he's so good. <laughs> 